If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a special chapter because it's the place where the church was birthed. Jesus ascended back to the Heavenly Father in Acts chapter 1. And on Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples, Simon Peter, James, John, they are still in Jerusalem because Jesus told them, He said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so they're staying put in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, which is a, a Jewish holiday, it's kind of like uh, it has the same significance for Jewish people that Christmas does for us. It's a very important holiday. A lot of people assemble in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50 days. And literally, the day of Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. And on that 50th day after Passover, the disciples got up to preach. They thought it was going to be just a a normal, routine service. And thank God it was anything but that. Because when Simon Peter got up to preach in his own native Aramaic, more than likely, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven, fell upon him and all the apostles. It looked like uh, tongues of fire resting upon them. And they were speaking in their language, but people who, who were in the, in the congregation and the audience who spoke many other different languages, they heard the apostles speaking in their own languages. And so even though Simon Peter was probably preaching in Aramaic, there was some guy from Ethiopia out there in the congregation who didn't speak Aramaic and couldn't understand Aramaic, but when he heard Peter speak, he heard him, he heard him in his own native Ethiopian language. And in fact, the, 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 the miracle of communication there on that day of Pentecost was so specific that not only did they hear in their own language, but they heard it in their own dialect. There are two words in Acts chapter 2. One of them is glossolalia, that, that means languages. We get our word glossary from it. But later in that chapter, there's the Greek word dialectos, from which we get our word dialect. And so, uh, had there been somebody from Palmetto, Georgia, in the audience that day on the day of Pentecost, they would, heard, they would have heard Peter, even though he was speaking in Aramaic, they would have heard him saying, you all need to get saved. <laughs> And you need to get saved today. And he would draw it out. At least that's what they would have heard. A major miracle. And 3,000 people were saved. Imagine being in a meeting like that. 3,000 people were saved. It was just a handful of them to start with. But 3,000 people. Later there were 5,000 people saved. The church is thriving. And at the end of chapter 2... Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, he gives a summary statement. Luke likes to do that. He gives a summary statement periodically as to how things are going. And that summary statement is found in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. This series is called Basics, Christianity at Ground Level. And, and what we're doing here is spending just a few weeks focusing on some of the essential basic elements of the Christian life. In the first week... You remember I talked about sin and salvation. Those are fundamental because uh, it, is our, it was our, for our sin problem that Jesus came. It's, it's 
to save us from our sin problem that Christianity is a necessity in our world. And then the second week, remember, I talked about how to study the Bible because Bible reading and Bible study is essential for the basic day-to-day living of the Christian life. You can't do it without the Word of God. Last week, uh, Barry and Buddy talked with you about witnessing. The one thing that we really are not sure we want to hear about anymore, but it is an essential if the church is to grow and if we're to exercise the fullness of our Christian faith, we must be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. And Mr. Doug Banks on Sunday night talked about, again, salvation and how salvation is, is brought about through the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. So today I want to talk with you about the church. Because I believe that the church is the glue that holds it all together. It's the glue that holds it all together. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. Here is Luke's summary statement as to the condition of the church at that early, very early stage. They devoted themselves, they being the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of my favorite books, uh, one of my favorite authors is a lady by the name of Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott. She wrote, among many books, she wrote a book called Traveling Mercies. And in that book, she tells about uh, one of her best friends who happened to be also her pastor. There was a time uh, when... Uh, Her pastor's child, at age seven, got lost in the town where they were living. Uh, Don't know exactly how the little girl managed to get lost, but she was out playing in the yard and and moseyed off in one direction and then into another direction. And the next thing she knew, she was lost and her parents were frantic trying to find her. I saw a a mother this past week frantically looking for her child. Uh, We were staying at a, a campground where there were... I think about 70, 75 shacks that people were living in. And they had, they call, they don't call them shacks, they call them tents. And people are in there. Most of them don't have air conditioners, they have fans. I'm up on Mount Sinai because up on a hill, way back in the back of the campground, they have a preacher's tent, a preacher's cabin, and they they put us a window unit air conditioner up there. Thank God for air conditioners, really? You know, that was an anointed time. Whoever invented those babies, that was an anointed time. And we were up there on Mount Sinai. I told him, I said, uh, I, said I, I call that hill up there Mount Sinai. But I said, if you, if you happen in the middle of the night to see fire and smoke on Mount Sinai, I said, don't, don't, don't think, don't, don't think for, that it might be God. Go ahead and call the fire department if you don't mind. Go ahead and call them. But I remember coming out of, in the middle of the week, coming out of the preacher's tent on the way down to the eight o'clock service. And there's this mother running up the hill. They have bike trails all through the woods up there outside the campground. They have a cemetery up there where people go out and, and I don't know what all they do out there in that cemetery. I don't like going out in the cemetery much, but they're out in the cemetery. But this, this mother came up and she said, I'm looking for my child. I can't find my, find my child. 
and he was off playing up there in the woods in a, on a bicycle trail somewhere. Anne Lamott's pastor's child was lost in the middle of the city, and everybody, of course, was frightened, and a policeman happened by and saw the seven-year-old child alone in the city. And I'm sure, I've never been a policeman, of course, but I'm sure if I were a policeman, I saw a seven-year-old child in the middle of a city without her parents or without any adult supervision, I I wouldn't think that that was quite right. And he stopped and he began talking with her and found out that she had lost her way. And so he said, well, hop in the car and and I'll see if I can help you find uh, your parents, find out where you live and get you back home. And the little girl didn't know her address. Couldn't tell him her address, couldn't tell him a phone number. And they went right by, they drove by the church and she saw the church. And and of course she recognized the church. She said, oh, that's my church. She said, stop here and let me out here. And he said, well, that's not really where you live. She says, I know. But she, she said, if you'll just stop me here at the church, she said, I can find my way home from the church. That's what I love about church. Got to have a place where I can come and, and know that if once I'm there, I can find my way home from there. God pity the person who has no church. I began uh, just recently realizing that every time Paul wrote, with the exception of when he wrote to Timothy and Titus, he was writing to a church, a local church. He, he never wrote to an individual who was not in church. For him, it was all about being a part of a church family. And he recognized that nobody in the church was going to be perfect. I mean, he knew that as soon as he he got a good look at the church at Corinth that was split every which way but loose over every kind of thing you can imagine from doctrine to preachers to uh, marriage to the Lord's Supper to spiritual gifts. I mean, you talking about a division, they had them. But the Apostle Paul loved the church. The book of Acts is about the church. And when you look at the New Testament uh, and you study the idea of church, you find it uh, described in two ways. First of all, all Christians who've ever lived, who are anywhere in the world, regardless of whether they're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, regardless of denomination, all people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ make up the universal church. And in that sense, every person who is saved, is a part of the church. But then most of the time in the New Testament, when when the, the, the word church is used, it's not used to describe that universal, worldwide, global church. It's used to describe a local church. The church at Ephesus, Paul said. In Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 3, the Lord, through John, wrote a letter to the church at Philadelphia. And he said, I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. I want you to go through it. To the church at Laodicea, all those were letters to uh, a local church. Here we are, we're part of the universal church, but we're the local church, we're the church at Palmetto. We're the body of believers who are here at Palmetto Baptist Church, and we're a local church. And these people here in Acts, early in their, early in the infancy of the church, they were the church. It's not a building. Do you realize that for the first 380 years of church history, nobody ever called a building a church? Nobody. It wasn't until the Roman Empire decided that instead of beating the church, 
trying to beat the church to death, they would make everybody join the Christian church. It was only then that the emperor came up and said, I'm going to give you Christians some buildings to worship in. And it was only then that people started calling a building a church. A building is not a church. This building is the place where the church meets you are the church. People who have a relationship with Christ, we are the church. And everywhere we go, as soon as uh, the uh, 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 Sunday school and 11:15 service is over with, the, the church at Palmetto will spread out all over the place. It'll show up in various places. Some of the church will meet down at Old Charlie's and some of us, some of the church will meet down at Bojangles and, and there might be a, a sprinkle of the church down at Dairy Queen and there'll be a sprinkle of the church around a dinner table out in a country road somewhere where a family's getting together to eat. There'll be part of the church situated down at the hospital because somebody's sick. There'll be a part of the church that is, that is crying over some sort of crisis in somebody's life that means something to you. We're gathered as the church. I love the church. I love this church. I want you to notice as we look at these few verses of scripture, ask this question. What does this passage teach us about the church? It's a very early time. The church is thriving, even though it's small and being persecuted. They're thriving. The church thrives among crises. And I want you to notice seven things about them. First of all, I want you to notice that they were together. They were together. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. They were, verse 42, of fellowship. They were believers and they were together. Not always physically together, but in spirit and in heart, they were together. Right now, we're together. At lunchtime, we'll be scattered out all over this area around Palmetto, Noonan, Fayetteville, Peachtree City, wherever you might go. But we are, we are the church together, even when we're not physically together. They were together. It's so important for a church to be together. The, the saddest thing in the world is to hear of some church. Boy, they're, they're not together over there at that church. Boy, they're not. We need to be together. The second thing I want you to notice about them is that they had all things in common. They had all things in common. Verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. What does that mean? They had everything in common. It meant that they realized that they were all equal. They all stood on equal footing. There were no big eyes and little U's and big U's and little eyes. Everybody was on equal footing. Everybody uh, stood on equal ground before God and even before each other in that early church. They looked at each other with respect because they had all things in common. And it didn't matter what the gender was. It didn't matter what the age was. It didn't matter what the race was. It didn't matter what the social class was. It didn't matter what the occupation was or what the office title was. They saw everybody equal. They had all things common. Number three, they studied the scriptures. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Let me tell you, church needs to be a place where people gather to open the word of God. We're not here to open up a self-help book. We're not here to, to, to uh, rehash what Oprah or Dr. Phil had to say this past week. We're here to open up the Word of God and see what God has to say to you in your immediate situation. And God has a Word. This Word of God, this Bible that He's blessed us with, is timeless in its application. No matter what uh, age we live in, the, the Word of God always has something, principles to apply to wherever we are. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They studied the Scriptures. And not only did they study the Scriptures, but number four, they took care of each other. They took care of each other. Verse number 45, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. We're not talking about communism here. We're not talking about socialism here. But we're talking about a church where people were so in love with each other that when, when one member of the church family hurt, everybody else rose to the occasion and addressed that need and helped that person in need. That's church. They took care of each other. They didn't backbite each other. They didn't criticize each other. They didn't put each other down. They took care of each other. That's what you do with family. That's what you do with family. I have members of my family that I vehemently disagree with. I have members of my family that sometimes I would love to choke, and sometimes they'd love to choke me, and sometimes we end up trying to choke each other at the same time. But let me tell you what, I'd go to the mat for my family. And here in Acts chapter 2, Luke says, I'm looking at this church, this little infancy church, and I've noticed something about them. They take care of each other. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. He said in John 15, he says, this is how people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Unfortunately, uh, two Often, more often than should be, that's not the way that the church looks. But if we want the church to be the real church, as God initially designed her to be, we take care of each other. Number five, they socialize together. They socialize together. Verse, 45, verse 46, every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They may have even played a game of rook or dominoes or two. I don't know. But I, what I do know is that in addition to worshiping and celebrating Lord's Supper, they ate together. They broke bread together. They shared their lives together. That's church. I love church. I love church. I especially love church when we forget about denominational emphasis. That's one of the things I loved about camp meeting. You're probably tired of me already talking about it, but I get up there and I look over that congregation. There are Baptists there, Methodists there, Presbyterians there. There were some Catholics there. There were some folks who were non-denominational there. But you know, for about 10, 10 days and 27 services, we got up there and nobody was anything but Christian. I like that a lot. In fact, I'm looking at Acts chapter 2 and they don't make one mention of any denomination in there. <laughs> The Bible says that it was at the city of Antioch, which became the headquarters for the Christian missionary enterprise. And it says it was at Antioch that the, that the uh, people who followed the way of Christ first became known as Christians. Christians. You know what Christians means? It means little Christs, little Jesuses. That's what we want to raise up in our church, little Jesuses. Not big Jesuses, little Jesuses. Hmm. <laughs> 
They socialized together. Number six, and I think this is most important, they worshiped God. They worshiped God. Verse 47, praising God, praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Let me tell you, I, I, I really believe that the two most important things that we do, now this is, this is just my thinking here, and you'll have to think about it and see if you agree with this or not, and, and you don't have to, but here's what I believe. I believe the most important things we do, the most important two things we do, are our worship on Sunday morning and our small groups. Now that's not enough. We need to be out in the world serving, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but but gosh, being here in worship, it's the, it's the, the charger that I, that I put my, my rechargeable heart in. And I get re-energized with you. If, if, we were to ha- if somebody came up and says, all right, you're going to have to do away with everything you do except for one thing. Except for one thing. What would, what would that one thing be? I think it would either be worship or small group Sunday school. I think it would be. And, of course, we're not in a position where we're about to do away with, with important things. I'm just simply saying this is where it begins. Our, 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 out of our worship comes an overflow that pours into our small groups, pours into our children's ministry, student ministry, senior adult ministry, our, our uh, uh, deaf ministry. Everything we do is an outpouring of the time we spend here in the worship of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we were created for this worship. And so when we're here and we're worshiping God, we're doing the main thing for which we were created by God in the first place. They praised God. And then number seven, Luke says that they won their friends and their loved ones to Christ. I love verse 47, praising God, enjoying the favor of the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being Saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. My dream for Palmetto Baptist Church has been my dream ever since, ever since I came here in 2000. And that is that I, I long for a day when every single service, at least every single Sunday morning service, contemporary, traditional, that at every single one, somebody gets saved. Somebody comes and joins the church. Somebody makes a life-changing decision for Christ. That's my desire. I hope it's your desire. I hope you care enough, and I believe you do, that you care enough for this church that you desire to see somebody saved every single morning. Uh, I, 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 I long for the day when we get to the point, not only when we desire that somebody gets saved every Sunday morning, but we expect it. We come to expect it. And if we get here and somebody doesn't come forward and receive Christ or join the church or, or make a, a life-changing decision, we walk away wondering, well, what in the world happened? What in the world happened? Nobody came forward today. Nobody made a decision for Christ today. They won their friends and their loved ones to Christ. Fred Craddock is a Disciples of Christ minister. On one occasion, I heard him talking about the first pastorate that he ever served. He and his wife went out to a little country Christian church. And at that church, they just had a few members. And everybody knew everybody else very, very well. You know that kind of... Uh, country, rural, community, close-knit. Kind of like Palmetto, but really a little bit smaller than Palmetto even. And they would have baptism. They baptized by immersion just like we Baptists do. And they had a baptismal service, and they had it once a year. And they had it down at a lake outdoors. 
And uh, Fred Craddock said that the lake where they had the baptism, you'd go into the lake and there was this little island right in the middle of the lake. And they would bring all the baptismal candidates, all the people who had professed Christ as Savior and needed to be baptized, brought them out to that island. They had baptismal robes and they were all at the island. And Fred Craddock, he would get out there on the middle of the island and all the rest of the church stood on the bank. I remember that because I was baptized in a lake like that. And I remember, I remember in, in, in my mind, in my memory, in 1968, when the, when the church at Shady Grove assembled on the hill... And as we were, as we the candidates were, were, were walking out in the water to the place where we'd be baptized, I remember them singing, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. Craddock said that they would get all the candidates out there in the middle of that little island. And then one by one, he would bring, the, bring each candidate down and he would say a few words and baptize, take that person under the water. And then that person would, would walk out to the shore and someone would take that person. They had these makeshift little booths with, with uh, uh, sheets for curtains that they'd take them behind. They could change clothes. And as each person was baptized, they'd come out of the water and go behind the sheet to change clothes. And finally, Craddock said, when I was, when I was through baptizing everybody, he said, then I would go into the little, little sheet-covered booth and I would change clothes. And he said, while we were doing that, somebody had prepared a bonfire. And a bonfire would be going, and all the baptismal candidates who had changed clothes, they had come over to the bonfire to warm by the fire because when they came out of the water, they were cold, you know. And he said, then I would change clothes and I would come by... Uh, come and stand by the bonfire and they would line everybody up, all, the, all the, the newly baptized members of the church up around the bonfire and the rest of the church would gather in a circle around the baptismal candidates who were already around the bonfire. And one old fellow, it was always the same old fellow, Craddock said, he would speak up and he says, all right. He said, uh, I'm going to introduce the folks who've been baptized here, who've given their lives to Christ and joined our church. And he would, he would go one by one, and he would, he would mention their name and who their family was, their mama and daddy and where they lived and so forth. And then, after he finished introducing all the baptismal candidates, they would go around the circle. And each person who was a member of the church would mention his or her name and what they did. I'm, and if you ever need, call me. I'm Joe Wilson, and if you ever need any woodcut, I'm the one to call. I'm Sue Wilson, and if you ever need anybody to keep the kids, I'm the one to call. I'm so-and-so, and if you ever need any work done on your car, call me. I'm so-and-so, and if you ever need somebody to help you with the garden, call me. And they went all the way around the circle. And Craddock said when everybody finished introducing himself or herself and what they what they brought in ministry to the church family and to the community. Then they would sit down in towels or blankets on the ground and they would picnic and they'd, have, they'd eat a lunch there on the side of the water. And then at a certain time, a certain specified time, another gentleman in the church, always the same gentleman, would raise his hand and he says, all right, time to go. 
And nobody questioned. Everybody just started getting up, folding their blankets, getting their boxes and picnic stuff together. And they started heading out. And all the time he's there with his overalls, thumbs in his in his overall straps and got big old boots that had been around, had to been around since Noah. And he's he's throwing dirt, kicking dirt up on the fire, going around the fire, all the way around it, round, 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 just kicking dirt on the fire. And finally, Craddock said the first time this happened. He said, everybody had had dispersed. And he said, I looked up. He said, I'd been in deep thought. And he said, I looked up and the the only person left was myself and this old fellow with the overalls kicking dirt up on the fire. And he said, the man looked up at him and said, Craddock, folks don't ever get any closer than this. I love the church. We're here for each other. We're bound together because we have a relationship with Christ that is forever. And we love each other. And there will be times when we disagree. There will be times when we may not like each other too much. But we are family. And you just can't do Christianity. You can't do Christianity. Without the church. And let me just tell you something else. Nothing substitutes for the church. The country club does not substitute for the church. The booster club does not substitute for the church. The private school does not substitute for the church. The ball club does not substitute for the church. Now, all of those things are necessary to different extents in our lives. But let me tell you, nothing substitutes for the church. I don't know what I would do or would have done had it not been for this church.